travel the world helping individuals learn the skills they need to have happy and healthy relationships. And I'm Big Sexy, her loving husband and co-host here to provide levity. levity. You know the jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the podcast today. I am so excited to talk about this topic. I have been doing a lot of research around this topic And here's what's so crazy. Uh, Not an awful lot of statistics to share today. Interesting. Yeah, I I tried all kinds of ways to find different stats, but the the topic that we're engaging today is so wide ranging that we're just going to talk about some general guidelines and principles as opposed to like hard, solid facts and data. We're also going to give folks some resources uh, at the end to be able to start to navigate different things. it's particularly pertinent because I guess pretty much throughout all of our travels, and that includes travel uh, as we've traveled together and then travel I've done individually, there's been this really interesting and growing phenomenon um, of how to navigate intercultural dating and relationships. Um, You know, for most of us, like, you know, uh, or for a lot of us, and again, I couldn't find the statistics on this, so <laughs> I'm gonna guess okay. it is the majority of people um, are uh, typically uh, meeting, courting, and marrying, and or com- creating long-term partnerships with folks that have similar similar cultures. Okay. Um, but given our uh, work in the last few. Uh, a uh, few months, especially, and for me, the last few years of traveling um, and dealing with folks who have huge differences in their cultural understanding of the world and their okay. cultural understanding of relationships, I find it to just be really, really uh, an important thing to talk about um, because I found a lot of these partnerships are super wonderful. Um, and I have a question before we get too far into sure. it. Sure. Um, how deep into the intercultural do we go we're just talking like you know um i'm from california you're from st louis Mm -hmm. are those cultural differences you know they can be um i mean culture is a really broad term it really encompasses like and that's why it's such a huge topic right? right it encompasses so many areas of human life that's including things like values, beliefs, norms, customs, traditions, language, religion, art, history, uh, expectations, um, family and cultural understandings. Right. Um, so, you know, those are the things that we consider when we think about culture. So for us, yes and no. Um, okay. You know, we if, if we were to use our own relationship as, as an example, we probably would not be considered an inter. We definitely would not be considered intercultural. Right. We are of the same nationality. Yep. We're roughly the same age. Yep. We have the same ethnic background. Yep. Uh, as far as we know. <laughs> right? right. As far as we right. can as tell. As far as we know. We have the same ethnic background. Um, we uh, grew up in the same country, so we have an under- shared understanding of laws. Right. 
Um, and even though we grew up in slightly different cultures, I don't know that there is such a huge difference between California and Missouri um, that it would be considered cultural. Okay. It might, you know, we might uh, find a difference in like political structures, for example. Right. Missouri being much, much more conservative. Right. Um, we might. And California being incredibly liberal. Right. Uh, with... Especially the Hollywood California that I'm, I'm associated with. Sure. Yeah. And then, you know, of so course, the, you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Um, and also, uh, so yeah, so, so we don't count. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. What I'm trying to tell you is that we don't count Got in it. terms of being uh, intercultural. Um, <clears throat> what I find primarily, um, well, I think the clearest definition of intercultural would be those folks that are dating across borders. Okay. Right. So I grew up in the United States and someone that I am dating grew up in Norway. Okay. Yeah. That's, that is an intercultural relationship in that we will have very different views of the world. There'll be a lot of things that we share, but I think that some of the assumptiveness uh, about how we engage life uh, can be really markedly different. Right. so that, does that answer your question? Yes, absolutely. That that uh, <clears throat> is uh, yes. That that brings the definition around the interculturalness <clears throat> of the discussion today. Yeah. Pardon me. I need to get something to drink. My guys, I'm just so. Um, I actually thought about this topic. The the, the first time I encountered this topic in terms of like wanting to research it was actually because of a Facebook post. Okay. So I went to go find this Facebook post. I couldn't find the exact post. I found a lot of posts that were similar to the one I was looking for. So I'm just going to kind of like paraphrase uh, what that post said, but it was essentially from a woman in her fifties who was moving to a new country and (laughs) was deciding, was actually uh, asking online, which is the best place to ask for advice. <laughs> uh, I was asking online uh, to uh, for for folks to say where the best partners could be found. And interesting, yeah, you know, listen, it's a big wide world out there, and if you know what you want, like, yeah, might as well search the entire world, right? Right. I guess if you have the funds to do it, you're like, okay, y'all, where where are the best partners we're the best partners for me right so she outlined what she was looking for in a partner um this particular person was heterosexual so they were looking for a heterosexual partner okay um but beyond that she wanted to know culturally uh folks who were open to experience she wanted to know culturally folks that were uh egalitarian in their views of romance um and relationship uh she wanted a place where language wouldn't be such a huge barrier, and she'd spoken several languages. Okay. Um, That'll help narrow it down. Well, it would definitely help narrow it down, even though that wasn't uh, wasn't the the primary focus. Right, 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 right. Uh, Just clarifier. But reading the comments, always the best place you should be. <laughs> <laughs> always start with the comments. The comments were really wide ranging and interesting. Right. Okay. Um. And I think this is the first place where we intersect with the idea of intercultural dating. And that's to understand that there are a lot of stereotypes out there. Oh, there are, <laughs> there are a ton of stereotypes out there. 
I mean, I don't know if you've heard, are they, I'm going to tell you some of the ones that I read in the Facebook comments, but I want to know from you, when you think about dating stereotypes okay, from various different countries cultures and locales and, and cultures, Got it. what are some of the stereotypes that come to mind for you? Okay. Do you want to give me like certain areas first and then I'll tell you what the stereotype of that area is? Or do you know just... them that well? <laughs> <laughs> I made a list. You, know, you got back, a list of all Back when I was thinking about traveling the world before we were together, I'm like, okay, where can I find the best party? What are all those stereotypes out there? Um, you know, like the, the, the most common ones that come to mind are like uh, Latin American women are crazy. Oh, wow. Or okay. wild. Or like, wild. Not, not necessarily like insane, but like are wild, outspoken, and uh, um, uh, from a, a male misogynistic perspective, hard to handle. Oh, that's terrible. Ouch. Yikes. Right. Yeah. That's a stereotype. Okay. Um, that uh, Asian women are submissive. Yeah, that's a lie. That's right. <laughs> um, having not to speak for Asian women generally, but having met, uh, lived with, and lived in Asian countries. I can tell you that that is uh, absolutely false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Even though I, I understand where it comes from, because you know there's some tradition. We'll get into that. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, that uh, East Asian men, like your um, Indian and your typical Muslim countries, tend to be domineering mm-hmm. and um, Overly masculine and uh, restrictive in their uh, dating mm-hmm. procedure. I've heard that Latin men, generally, uh, anyone from uh, Latin American countries broadly, uh, are very, very passionate and fiery. Yes. This, uh, this is the thing I've heard. Yes. Um, and then you have stuff like, you know... Um, you know, black men. There were so many different. <laughs> let's let's keep let's keep it PG, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you know, you know. Oh, stop it. Um, so okay, so we're talking stereotypes. That's enough of the stereotypes. Yeah. Clearly, that's the level where we're going too far. <laughs> so, right. so, but you know, so, so yeah. the first thing is that there are a lot of biases out there, right? Uh, and so, you know, when I was reading through, I actually discovered, I don't know if these are, I, I'm assuming they are stereotypes. I'm not sure how biased these stereotypes are. I mean, they're as biased as all stereotypes are, right? right. Um, but I found it really interesting, particularly the conversation about uh, egalitarian sharing. Um, Break down that word. For, uh, for egalitarian, like, uh, you know. That's a fancy word. Yeah, you know, we, as, a, as one of the folks that identifies as female, uh, and cisgendered, um, you know, there are a lot of interactions with the system that we call patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and th- th- that has an effect on interpersonal relationships and can have an effect on interpersonal relationships. Interculturally, what this woman was asking about was egalitarian relationships, meaning relationships that uh, were not patriarchal but that were more uh, equal and in which uh, women have an equal voice okay. um, in decision-making and power, et cetera. Um, the countries that were listed as stereotypically more egalitarian, what would you guess? Uh, um, it's tough because the people that I meet like I would say, like either 
Germany, maybe. Um, yeah, the problem uh, my knee jerk, of course, <laughs> is to say America, but I know definitely America, not. So definitely not. <laughs> definitely uh, not. New Zealand, maybe Australian, okay, possibly. I hadn't heard that, but okay. Um, I can't think of a whole lot because yeah. it's a male dominated world, yeah. You know, Scandinavian countries as well, Amazon, Scandinavian countries. Okay. In the comments, anyway, uh, a lot of them were discussing the uh, that there's a sense of egalitarianism in Scandinavian countries. The challenge being that the cultures tend to be very, very closed cultures. Right. So even though the partnerships tend to be very equal, uh, that it is rare to establish those partnerships because they rarely date outside of their culture. Outside of the culture, yeah. Right, right. So you know, and that's so true while you got friendships, it, right? While, so. while egalitarianism is a thing. Mm-hmm. Intercultural is not necessarily not so much of a thing. Right, right, right. So anyway, that's what got me started down uh, the uh, around the idea of like, what do you need in order to have uh, a healthy intercultural relationship? Like, what are some of the things that you need to consider if you want to be in an intercultural relationship and have it be successful? Now, of course, that brings us back to our favorite topic, communication. Communication. Um, and it's really interesting because a lot of the ways that we uh, communicate is based on our culture. Okay. Um, and, I and get that. It, yeah. So, so let's maybe break that down just a little bit. Um, so we just talked about what culture is. Um, romantic communication can vary depending on a lot of different things. One, for example, is whether you have what we call a high context versus a low context form of communication, right? Okay. Now, a high context communication style is a style that relies really heavily on people reading your particular clues and body language, right? Okay. Eye contact, tone of voice, um, you know, people who are very attuned to paying attention to the context of communication, right? Right. Which I mean, to a certain extent, we all are, um, but high context—that that's a cultural expectation, right? That okay. I'm not going to explain to you what is happening. That you should be able to infer from how I am behaving, right? What's going on with me? <clears throat> Excuse me. The low context communication style is one that really relies very heavily on directness, words, facts numbers right there's not a whole lot of you don't have to do a whole lot of guesswork in order to understand what the person's saying right right so high context is more subtle it's more ambiguous it's more metaphorical in romantic relationships they tend to use indirect strategies things like you know hints suggestions Silence. The cold, <laughs> right? the cold shoulder. The cold shoulder. Oh, as it my were. shoulders are cold. <laughs> and low context, obviously, the opposite. They tend to be very direct in their strategies. They make requests. They make. Uh, 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 they offer commands. They offer feedback. Um, now you can imagine if you have two different cultures, and like I don't know, guys, you can tell us in the comments. What cultures you think of as high context or that you've experienced as high context versus low context? Which culture do you think your communication style falls into? Right. Um, but that can be really difficult if I'm a person who is very direct as a part of my culture, which, hey, y'all, Americans, 
we're very direct. <laughs> right? yeah. We have a tendency to have a very direct communication some, style. Some, because there are other Americans, I have a few in mind that are mm-hmm. very low, low, I mean, high context. Well, and, and here's the thing. America is a difficult case study because we have so many different cultures right. within our borders. Right, within the borders. Right, right, But broadly, the We're American, supposed to be the united melting pot. Right. But or think, salad, we, whichever we, one you we, prefer. We've been on the stove the too soup. long, and now it's starting to burn and separate. The soup, whatever you call it. Um, but broadly, as a, as a cultural, if we were kind of falling into those cultural stereotypes for cultural norms, mm-hmm. most Americans support the idea of direct communication. Yeah. Right, uh, which can tell course, it like it, tell, tell it, it like it is. Right, uh, which could be in direct conflict uh, with someone who has a low context uh, communication style or high context communication style. That's kind of like, hey, you're not catching the hint. Hey, I'm trying to tell you that I'm either wanting this or needing this or wanting more. Right, right. Um, there's no right or wrong answer to what actually works for folks culturally. Uh, but it is important to have an understanding of like what you're dealing with, right? So that's one thing that I think intercultural uh, partners have to consider. Do you run across uh, these kind of issues in your practice? All the time, all the time. It's one of the focuses that I have for my practice. Uh, so you know, it's really one. It's really interesting to find out the differences in culture. Um, I have worked with folks with all kinds of cultural differences. Um, but primarily across borders, right? So folks who grew up in one particular country, right. met in another country, um, maybe reside in a third or fourth country. Right, which which happens a lot over here. Happens a lot, yeah. So I, I tend to work with a lot of those folks um, in my uh, coaching practice in particular. Um, another thing folks have to consider is whether the... Um, culture that that your partner's coming from is individual or collectivist okay do you know what i mean when i say that yeah i think uh, an individual culture is you know everybody does for themselves and collectivist is you really support the community yeah i mean that's really what it is basically you know um this can often be really difficult when it comes to uh decisions about family for example Uh, if i come from a collectivist space then, you know, that might compress the geography that I'm willing to go to. Right. I might not be willing to move to a place where I do not have connectedness to uh, community or community space. Um, it could impact how people live. Do we want to live with parents and elders? Parents and grandparents and um, all the family are in one housing unit. Absolutely. If that is the norm, right. what happens when I date someone where that is absolutely not the norm? Right. Uh, where the norm is like, I don't know, as soon as you're able, you get on out the house. <laughs> right? So, um, very interesting. If we were, of the, we're very much individualistic. Yeah, so that's society. Yeah. Yeah. And background. I try to imagine what the flip side would be if, you know, suddenly we had to put everybody, all yours and mine, all in the same house. Uh, it'd be interesting. I think it'd be interesting. You know, what's really funny is I think. <laughs> I think everybody in our families would be okay getting along with each other. I think we would be going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and not with each other, just in that environment. Just in the environment. Yeah, we definitely come uh, yeah. from that American ethos of, of uh, being individualistic, right? Right. Um, but, you know, 
what that leads to actually is a difference in values. Right. Right. So if I'm in an individual culture, we have a tendency to value directness, honesty, assertiveness, self-disclosure. These are the kinds of things that we look for in uh, romantic communication. That means that often folks from individualistic places prefer verbal expressions of love. Um, collectivistic cultures tend to value more indirectness, politeness, modesty, and respect in romantic communication. Okay. Um, they also uh, reportedly prefer uh, nonverbal expressions of love, like a physical touch or acts of service. Um, so obviously you can see how that, yeah, you can see how that's going to influence dating yeah. <laughs> right? Right. and an eventual partnership. Um, the other thing that we have to consider is how geography plays a role in how people express and receive love in romantic partnership. Uh, and by geography, I just mean the physical location where people live. That means the climate, the terrain, the resources there, the population density, uh, how much urbanization is there, um, mm. you know, all that is going to affect and influence romantic communication. Makes sense. If right. I live in an area where I can go hiking all the time, um, <laughs> why the, the well, because hiking, yeah. mm-hmm. um, you know, and I meet somebody elsewhere, then they live in a city where mm-hmm. hiking really isn't the go to mm-hmm. that could put a strain on dating, mm-hmm. yeah, yep, exactly that, right? So Uh, It really affects what we call proximity, which is very, very important in all relationships. And that's just the literal physical distance between two people, right? If we are in close proximity, then we are typically going to interact more frequently. We're going to become more familiar with folks. Um, There is uh, greater opportunities for intimacy and trust. Uh, There's also greater opportunities for conflicts and boredom, Right. (laughs) right? Uh, versus someone with uh, less proximity to me, where we have less frequent contact. So, you know, uh, there are some barriers to intimacy and trust. Uh, and also, but it also kind of reduces the idea of boredom. If I don't see you that often, then like, it's always going to be new and interesting. Right. right. Um, it reduces the opportunity for conflict because much of the lives that we are establishing, we are establishing independently, Right as opposed to trying to create something that is a container for two different cultures. Right. Uh, so proximity definitely uh, also makes a difference in that. Yeah, I can imagine how difficult it would be not only to have a long-distance relationship, mm-hmm. but a long-distance relationship across borders. Yeah, it's tough. You know, I mean, shout out to our previous uh, uh, listeners, uh, Sarah, who sent a letter about her mm-hmm. and her companion were like, in love across borders. Across borders, yeah. Um, and not even their own borders. Like, right. Yeah, you know, so that that is, again, a struggle and tough. And and, and then to have the, the intercultural yeah. on top of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, yeah. and that Woo! also plays a role in terms of what we would call environmental stress. Right. Right. So, you know, your environment, and we well know this as we travel the world, your environment makes a difference in how you operate in the world. It really does. Um, so, you know, if you're living in a low stress environment, you tend to experience more positive emotions. Um, when you're dealing with a lot of stress in your environment, uh, you're kind of working through more, you know, adaptive mechanisms uh, to try to figure out how to mitigate that stress, you right. have a tendency to encounter more negative emotions. Um, and that can also create a huge difference 
in how people uh, navigate relationships, right? If one person is super chill and the other person's kind of always freaking out, that <laughs> right? You know, yes, <laughs> for both. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, again, I said this is super broad, <laughs> right? Right. So, what I thought about was like, you know, we we talk often about the how challenging it can be. Uh, and I think that a lot of the challenges people encounter are, are pretty common across the board. Listeners, if you have been in or are in an intercultural relationship, uh, go ahead and let the other colorful humans out there know a little bit about your experience. Tell us a little bit about um, how you've navigated that. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the challenges you encountered? Um, what works? What's what's working? What what's, yeah. What hasn't worked? Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we've talked a little bit about some of the, you know, some of the spaces where there can be challenges. Um, let's talk about how you create something that works. Okay. Um, and this is something that I found just in, again, working with different folks. Um, you know, before I just kind of give out the info, what do you think? What do you think works in intercultural relationships? What makes them work? What makes what, them work? What tools? Or, or what do people need to make them work? How do people do this? You mean outside of communication, which we said at the very top of how to... Outside of communication. I mean, communication Um, is certainly one of them, but like, I think the the sharing of values, I mean, um, Mm -hmm. an understanding of, right? Mm -hmm. Like, if I'm going to date somebody else from a different culture, Mm -hmm. I should take it upon myself to learn about their culture. Yeah, agreed. Right? Um, Not going blind. And then also not demand, you know... uh, my culture upon them. Yes. Right. Um, be open to interpretation, not interpretation, um, analyze and figure out and see what's going on and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, a lot of it has to do with uh, learning, curiosity, and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I think you kind of hit hit on several of those as we, as you kind of talk through that. Um, but like, I don't know where you want to begin. Um, learning, learning. Yeah. So the one thing you want to do is make sure to learn as much about your partner's culture, uh, as you can. And there's a a lot of different ways you can do that. Um, food is a great way. I was just get out of my head. I was just thinking, cause again, I relate everything back to us. And even though we're not intercultural, I think I had emos. He had emos. Yeah. Shout out to anybody who knows what emos is, who would only actually be a very specific set of people who have either lived or traveled in the Midwest. Right. Yeah. <laughs> emos is a pizza place, just yeah. as an FYI. Yeah. So food. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely food. I would say uh, that your your uh, sugar free peach cobbler would be one for me. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I don't. I don't eat peach cobbler. Okay. That. <laughs> so. Interesting. All right. So in any case, because peach cobbler is delicious, but yeah, I understand. that's so, so zemos. Yeah, again, agreed. But um, but that yeah. was a sharing of culture. Uh, well, it was, col- sharing, it was a sharing of food. Culture, we share <laughs> each other's food that we like. Yes. Um, but you know, but learning, I get it. Yeah, learning yeah. about the history of you know food and how food comes to be in that culture can be really uh, interesting. A lot of foods have a have a story, a history, a journey. How romantic would that be mm-hmm. if I were if we were different cultures and I were to research and learn how to make mm-hmm. a dish from your home culture, mm-hmm. and you come home or whatever, um, 
and it's there being prepared for you. Yeah. To the best, to the best of my non in your culture ability. Yeah, that would be very romantic. I think. Yeah. You can do that now. Okay. (laughs) Um, I'll order emos. You can order some emos. Have them send it across the water. Yeah. But um, yeah. So getting to know food, uh, getting to understand traditions, the history and importance of traditions, uh, and a lot of that you can do through uh, engaging in holidays. Uh, which is something, by the way, you'll need to navigate if you do have long-term partnership, uh, is how are we celebrating these holidays? Are we celebrating Because it is not the same across the board. Yeah. Are we celebrating Christmas or are we celebrating Diwali? Right. Are we celebrating both. Right. right? Um, whose wedding traditions? Are you celebrating Thanksgiving or what is that? Or what is that? <laughs> what are you doing? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, but you know, a, a good way, um, to make a commitment to your partner is to commit to learning and understanding their tradition, the important traditions and holidays for them. Yes. Um, and which ones are, at- are attached to a, a cultural understanding of their lives. Now, this would be a hot topic. Mm-hmm. Um, now question is, uh, I am of the belief mm-hmm. that it is upon the non culture. Mm-hmm to seek out and learn. I think it's, is I think it, it's for both. Is, is it for the person in the culture to educate? I think I, I think that if you're going to have a healthy partnership, mm-hmm. there is going to be both learning and education that takes okay. place. And, and I think, honestly, you know, when you're learning about another person broadly, even someone that you share a culture with, there is a certain kind of... Um, relational education that takes place, right? right? You're, you're still going to be learning about things like what's important to your partner, what's not important to your partner, what kinds of holidays do they celebrate, what they don't celebrate. Um, there's just often more assumptiveness about what that might look like. Um, so in that sense, I think it's really important for folks to, uh, if you're going to engage in an intercultural partnership, um, look at what commitments am I actually going to make to this partner that's going to create uh, our partnership? Now, here's what's really weird. Um, When I work with clients of the same culture, the commitments that folks should focus on and work on are exactly the same as they are with intercultural partnerships. There is just for folks of the same culture, often just not even a consideration, right? If we both grew up in the United States, then, you know, most often the conversation is going to be, how do we celebrate Thanksgiving? Not do, do we, we celebrate right. Thanksgiving, right? <laughs> right? Um, but how you celebrate it and its relative importance to you, this holiday or any other holiday, does make a difference in the partnership, right? Right. Um, and so the commitment uh, is still there, but it's often a commitment that we don't consider. Um, and I think that's one of the beautiful, one of the reasons, number one, I work with intercultural partnerships. I find it really beautiful that folks in intercultural partnerships actually explore commitment much more directly Uh uh, because there can't be that assumptiveness. And when there is that assumptiveness, folks have a tendency to run into problems, right? Right. Uh, And so I find that a lot of the commitments that we have, many of which are unspoken, right, uh, actually rise to the top. It's part of the reason why I like working in the area that I do, right? Intercultural partnerships, non-traditional relationships, 
Um, even in cases of infidelity, right? What you find is that some of the assumptions that I had rise to the top and they cannot just be assumed anymore, right? right? Um, and so I really love the fact that I get to explore these kinds of commitments with partners to help them understand what's really important to me in building a good, healthy, solid relationship. Um, but especially what are the additional hurdles? How do I have to communicate more uh, if we have different cultures? Um, yeah. So as a part of this, <laughs> I often will give folks uh, just kind of like a little tool that I have used. I'm going to share this with folks uh, with the colorful humans that are here and listening. And it's really just a list of commitments. And these are often the unspoken commitments that we take for granted, um, but that can come up to bite us if we're not really paying attention and we assume that we know what the other person is thinking, right? Okay. Uh, so I'm going to make that available to uh, our listeners. I'm going to make it available broadly to our uh, colorful humans. I'm not sure yet how I'm going to make that available, but we will. It will be a part of some place that you can click on. We'll probably make some kind of link in either the summary or on our social medias. Mm -hmm. or So be sure you're following us uh, on the social medias at Rainbow Dreamcatcher, the love pod Mm -hmm. on Instagram. Uh, You can subscribe to our community page on Patreon. Uh, You can go to Rainbow Dreamcatcher, the love podcast dot com. Uh, That'll connect you to the Patreon community. you have access there. You can always, uh, um, and if you, if you don't have access to any of that, you want to shoot us an email at rainbow dreamcatcher TLP at mm-hmm. gmail.com. Mm-hmm. Then we can reply with that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And just so you guys know, this is going to be a completely free resource. It's not going to be behind the Patreon wall. Um, right. This will be free to all, all, all to members, all, all uh, people in the community. Yeah. Um, if you do decide to use this resource, if you do sit down with your partner and decide to go uh, through this very brief exercise, uh, hit, hit us up and let us know how it worked. Yeah. You know, let us know uh, if you learned anything uh, by talking to your partner about these various commitments. Uh, were you surprised by anything that you learned um, in talking about these uh, various commitments? Um yeah. Some of it can be shocking, I tell you. Yeah, and if you don't want to write it out, because mm-hmm. a lot of people don't want to do writing, you can go to rainbowdreamcatcher.com. That'll take you to our uh, Spotify page mm-hmm. where you can actually leave a voice message mm-hmm. for us um, that we can listen to. And, uh, you know, if so inclined, you give permission, we can even play it on the air. Absolutely. And here are some of those um, stories and tales and reports back on, on what you discovered. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. um, But overall, I got to tell you, I find it to be a really beautiful and enriching experience to work with partners who are uh, intercultural. Uh, It's a wonderful learning experience, um, I think, for everyone involved. And if you are interested in creating a partnership of that type, uh, really be prepared to communicate. And more props to you because it is not necessarily the easiest thing to do. Um, but when it does work, uh, there can be like some really wonderful, solid, amazing relationships created. Agreed. All right. All right. Would you like to uh, uh, address any questions from listeners? You know, I think there was one from our colorful human lyric bliss. Lyrical right. bliss. Yeah. Hey, lyrical bliss. Shout out. Shout out, lyrical. All right. Hey, lyrical bliss asks. Mm-hmm. 
What is your take on heteroflexibility in men? Interesting. First of all, I'm going to have you define for me heteroflexibility. So that means when you're engaging in um, uh, intimate relations with the opposite sex, you stretch first. Um, you're able to bend in odd shapes and no, that's not, I, I, I'm asking you, flexibility. Uh, that's when you're able to, uh, uh, you don't pull your hamstring when you're doing it. Um, you, you're, you're able to, make... <laughs> but only if you're straight, <laughs> <laughs> only if you're straight. That's terrible. Yeah. No, uh, heteroflexibility is, um, you know, the concept of heterosexuality, which is, you know, opposite gender um, sexual attraction, right, is that in men, uh, there is the concept that the the heterosexual and homosexual is a spectrum between the two, mm-hmm. right? And if you're not fully, the fact that there is a spectrum is the heteroflexibility, mm-hmm. yep. right? That you lean more towards heterosexual, but again, Options. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have actually been really, um, uh, I, I guess, kind of just like uh, buoyed up by the fact that the upcoming generations are much more expansive and expressive in uh, how they uh, consider uh, sexual attraction. Yeah. Um, I know that for me, and I will not tell you my age, but, you know, it's old. It's older. <laughs> it's older. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of spectrum. Like you were straight or you were gay. Right. And, you know, it was yeah, really was the up. early kind of emergence of even by identity, which I think is still um, having an emergence. Right. Right. Um, I really love the fact that there are new spaces and ways for people to label their experience including, you know, bisexuality, pansexuality, um, heteroflexibility, asexuality, uh, aromantic um, inclination. I mean, there's there's just so much out there. Yeah. Um, I think the challenge is that in the wider world, and this is just, I can't speak necessarily to heteroflexibility in men. I can speak to heteroflexibility in women. Okay. Um, but the idea that your identity, I think the challenge there is that Often folks' identity is based on who they are socially pair bonded with. Okay. Which may or may not be reflective of their actual experience. Right. Yeah, yes. So uh, there tends to be an erasure of folks who don't fit into a convenient box, right? So if I am dating a same sex partner, then I must be gay or lesbian. Must be gay, right. Right. If I am dating a uh, opposite sex partner, then I must be uh, hetero. And, um, I'm really grateful for the fact that there are more opportunities for people to explain and establish their experience. That's not just a one or the other. Um, right. And I think that it's helpful in terms of moving people out of a place where they are essentially as a whole person invisible. <laughs> right. I know I've, I've often experienced what we would call what we used to call by invisibility, right. Where, no matter what I said, no matter what I did, whoever I happened to be dating at that moment determined who I was socially right. in larger community, <laughs> right? right. Um, 
So I'm uh, hopeful that there will be more folks that uh, that are able to label and express themselves in ways that are true to who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and that heteroflexibility is one way, one way to label that experience. And I hope more people are out there. And uh, I have a dream of a world where we don't look at people and consider people just by who they like mm-hmm. and who they find attractive. I don't sure. know who they have in their bed. Like that's, who cares? Like a, it's a lot weird. of people, unfortunately. A lot of people really do. Very weird. People, especially older people, really care. Yeah, super weird, right? You know, what What kills me. What kills you? Is the hypocrisy Ooh, that is yeah. existing in a lot, Ooh, especially a lot of the older God. generation, especially a lot of the older male generation. Yeah, I agree. Who are so, matter of fact, it's almost so much that the louder you are against a certain thing, mm-hmm. Really, the red flag that you probably are that thing. Yeah, I mean, there there was or, this recent yeah. legislature. I can't remember this person's name. I'm not sure if they were an actual lawmaker in the United States or if they were one of those kind of like very heavy hitting power lobbyist kinds of people. Right. But these folks had for years been adamantly uh, anti LGBTQ. Right. Uh, TIA plus. Right. Just anti. Right. Passing bills, passing laws, lobbying spending folks, money spending against money it, yeah. against it, getting donors, uh, creating organizations, and then come to find out that like, oh no, this these people had like girlfriends and boyfriends and was doing their thing. And again, nothing wrong. Like, hey, do your thing until you're passing laws until against it. Until you are passing laws against it, I don't care then who you can't sleep with. Don't be telling me who I can sleep with. That's the main thing. So, yeah. I mean, I guess my take is let, let's all go out and be who we are. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And however you language that, yeah. let's put that language out into the world in a way that, you know, we can be accepting of how people choose to live their lives. Um, yeah. I, I, my take on it is mm-hmm. um, the heteroflexibility in men. Yes, it exists. Mm-hmm. And we should stop caring about whether it exists or not. Just, you know, do you and do who you want to do if they want to do you. Mm-hmm. Yep. That part. And, you know, my own only caveat is be honest with all your partners. Be honest. Be, be honest, honest about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's just a good rule generally for a relationship. Just be honest with all your partners. It is. If, if, if you learn anything today on Rainbow Dream Catcher, the love podcast, it's be honest with your partner. Be honest with your partner. <laughs> so, it helps. It helps. It's a good thing. That's yeah, a good no. thing. Okay. Awesome. Well, wonderful episode. Yeah. Thank you so much. And again, listen, you want to hit us up. You heard all the socials earlier, you know, just at Rainbow Dream Catcher, TLP, pretty much everywhere, the love pod on Instagram mm-hmm. and some rendition of there. If you have any questions, just hit us up individually. We can tell you how to get there. Absolutely. But in the meantime, this, this has been Rainbow Dream Catcher, the love podcast. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.